Hi, everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. You could say that we three are lovers of the classical world. We love things and old books and each other and talking about stuff. And so welcome to our podcast where we talk about all those old things. That's right. And I'm here. My name is AJ Hindenburg. I'm joined by Graham Donaldson. Hey, hey. And Thomas Magby. Hey. And today we're talking about stuff from Thomas. Guys, I so this episode is going to be going coming out on the 12th in in two short days. It's the most important day of the year. Guys, what what day is that? The 12th? The two days after the 12th, probably. Oh. Yeah. The, s- the Feast of St. Valentine. <laughs> Mid-solstice? Mid sol- is it actually the Feast of St. Valentine? Is that why we celebrate? I That has always been my assumption. He was so, actually, it's Valentino. He's Italian. Is that true? No. That is not oh, true. That's definitely Don't not you true. know St. Valentine? He was a he, slave and he was bought by a bunch of Irish and um, then he converted them. And then he, he, and then he, ran, went, he right. left and then he came back as bishop and then he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. That's why there's no snakes in Ireland. But, and oh, and we know. buy each other flowers. I had no idea if he came from... Uh, came from Italy before that, but anyway, here we are. So, yes, we uh, this being the week of Valentine's Day, I thought we would uh, try and take a few romantic lessons uh, from from the classical world. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're getting excited for this? Okay. Thomas so, Magby. <laughs> I feel like Dr. a lot of those <laughs> swirl into tragedy. Wait, what? Well, we've got Romeo and Juliet, we've got uh-huh. Pyramus and Thisbe, we've uh-huh. got, I mean, there's just so many that yeah. just end Real no, no, no. Well, no, no. So, are we taking lessons on how not to? No, no. The correct way to commit double. No, no. The, the correct way to get to like learn things from old books is to just read them and like apply them directly <laughs> into our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do exactly, yeah, do exactly what they've what done. Yeah, exactly. So, a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. So I got a couple of those, and then hopefully you all will be thinking of these as uh, as we as we go through them. Mm-hmm. So most of these are taken from things that we've talked about in previous episodes. So hopefully these are relatable slash. Actually, Graham and AJ know more about these works than I do. So, yeah. So, I have eight tips here, and then I think uh, Graham and AJ might think of a few as we talk through this. If not, we got more to talk about after that. All right. So, um, first, first thought to prepare you for this Valentine's Day. Um, just because a poem is called romantic, it doesn't mean that you should read it to your special someone. Uh, so, here is a work. You can pronounce this better than I can. It's from Wordsworth. What's the name of the poem, Graham? Elegiac Stanzas. Suggested by a picture of Peel Castle in a Storm, painted by Sir George Beaumont. That's the name of the poem. Doesn't that sound like the kind of thing that you want to read to that special someone right. on Valentine's Day? Gets the engine going. Yeah. D- depends how good Sir George Beaumont was <laughs> in painting. <laughs> well, let me read you a couple lines from this. Oh, tis a passionate work, yet wise and well. Well chosen is the spirit that is here, that hulk which labors in the deadly swell, this rueful sky, this pageantry of fear, and this huge castle, standing here sublime. I love to see the look from which it braves, cased in the unfeeling armor of old time, the lightning, the fierce wind, the trampling waves. Just kind of, just kind of gets that, uh, that Valentine's feeling, doesn't it? It's true. A Later fierce on he, and stormy heart. I don't see any problems. <laughs> Later on, he calls it thou hoary pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly that's... Uh, He's talking about his own muscles. You guys are not <laughs> hitting the metaphor here. Uh, I would have planted thee, thou hoary pile, amid a world how different from this, beside a sea that could not cease to smile on tranquil land beneath a sky of bliss. Still not... Uh, I'm not so sure that this is a, a great idea for, for that special someone on Valentine's well, Day. Well, romantic just means strong feelings of emotion. So right, and all and strong this... feelings should be expressed all the time, right? <laughs> yes, Isn't that? Wait. Does. Yeah, turn, crank it up to 11 and, <laughs> yes, and that's express always... them as, as hard as possible. So this seems like a really, really good idea, right? Well, so number two, so just because you shouldn't read uh, certain types of poetry doesn't mean that poetry altogether uh, is a thing that you should throw out. So poetry is still a great idea. So here's an ancient source of poetry. Uh, this is from uh, the, the book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Um, uh, behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats sleeping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. I think uh, <laughs> they like, always have give birth to yeah, twins. Yeah, always give birth to twins. So this is a really... All I can imagine is just whenever he sees her, what he hears is a host of barn animals. <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> Like that's what he's imagining her yeah. hair is. Ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is go- goats yelling. 
Um, but that's the forbidden book. Uh, that's the one that um, <laughs> like, that's, that's what the Hebrew about this. boys were not allowed yeah, to the read boys until allowed they to. were until they were older. Yeah. Well, clearly we uh, uh, cater to a, a more mature oh, audience. Yes. Yes. That are preparing for this. something may. And this is just wait. Feel me out on this. Okay. Something may be lost in translation. No. No. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's one to one. I'm. I, th- I mean, what? think about what the, how much they had to compare things to. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, towers. We, we have a lambs. <laughs> we we have a wealth of imagery here in our modern world, but what was their day to day? Their day to day was yeah. usually animals and towers. Right, and sure. But how far had they traveled? Not far. Had they seen jewels? Not necessarily. It was all like, what what have I seen that is white? Well, a dove. A dove. What have I seen that looks fluffy? Yeah, uh, goats. But right? like, well, because it was written down a long time ago, we should just repeat it word for word today. It translates perfectly to today. Yeah, I've tried. If I've actually tried this, it works pretty well. It, yeah, so I, I hope you've also compared someone's uh, neck to the Tower of David, built in rows of stone, uh, or it hangs uh, on it hangs a thousand shields, all them shields of warriors. Like this translates one to one. This is perfect for. Well, she did wear a lot of turtlenecks <laughs> made of metal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, into it. She was also <laughs> necklaces. No disagreement. Turtlenecks <laughs> and necklaces. It was a pretty apt comparison. That's totally fine. All right, so maybe more in the vein of what books that we've talked about uh, more thoroughly here. Uh, AJ, uh, from a book you teach, uh, there's an incident, uh, there's an incident between Achilles uh, and Agamemnon over a girl that Agamemnon takes. What's, mm-hmm. what's the story that happens there? Uh, Achilles had been given a prize. Her name was Briseis, mm-hmm. and he he liked her. He thought she was pretty awesome. The But she doesn't really matter as much in the scene. What? What happens is Agamemnon has also stolen a prize and turns out that she was the daughter of a priest of Apollo and he prayed to Apollo and got Apollo all mad about this because he had come and tried to ask for her back and Agamemnon had been really mean. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't be mean to a priest of Apollo. So they find out that this is the case and they have to give her back because otherwise disease will ravage the troops from Apollo. And he's like, fine, if I have to give my girl back, I better get a different girl. And Achilles is like, whoa, man, we don't have like girls just laying around on right. the beach. We, every, you know, everything's been portioned out. And he says, fine, if I have to give up mine, I'm going to come take somebody else's. Maybe yours. <laughs> and all of this would have happened in front of other kings and with troops standing around. So it, more than losing a girl, which, which hurt for sure, mm-hmm. it was the story of a, you know, smear on his honor. But clearly the main takeaway from that story is that you got to stand up for your girl, right? Uh, he didn't, though. He Wait, later what? be taken by another guy. Yeah, but then, like, sat out of the battle. Like, clearly it was because of the honor of the woman he cared for so much. So in the same way, we should well, be... St- Wait, what? Yeah, she just... Huh, this isn't... She was huh. sort of taken, and then he... Wait, what? I think they eventually tried to give her back. And yeah, how'd, that, how'd that go? He said, I'm going home. Oh. And, then, and then eventually came back to battle when his best friend died. These, like, classical heroes are, like, so romantic. Man, okay. Yeah. How about... Uh, we'll, we'll try one from uh, from Paradise Lost... Graham, this will be a story that you know. So the 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 tip, the comment is that birds of a feather flock together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two uh, two lovers in Paradise Lost who are very alike one another. It's true. Does that ring a bell? Graham it does. Yeah. Um, so when I think what you're talking about is um, when Satan is sitting in heaven <laughs> and he's thinking. Oh no! He's like, you <laughs> no, know what? Please no. <laughs> This is Wait, not what? A I don't, I don't, fun. I don't understand. For Valentine's Wait, Day, really? Yeah. This is, is where like we're going to go. Tips. Yeah, why not? Um, he's Aww. contemplating what he, how he can take over heaven, uh-huh. and he's like, "Can I do it? I think I can do. I think I could do this thing." Mm-hmm. And then he gathers all of his troops together to plot of um, uh, an assault of God's throne, and then Satan gets a really weird headache, and he kind of keels <laughs> over, and his head splits open, and out pops a little creature that immediately sort of uh, takes the form of a pretty lady. And it says in Paradise Lost, and all were amazed to see it. <laughs> and, um, uh, and this pretty lady comes up and everyone's kind of freaked out. And Satan looks at her and he's like, oh, there's something about her. She reminds me of something. She reminds me of me. <laughs> and therefore immediately falls in love with her. And um, they spend time together in heaven, and she becomes uh, pregnant with his child. And then when the whole throwdown happens and they're all thrown into uh, hell, she is also cast into hell. Uh Later on, Satan sees her, um, but her name, uh, he sees her, but her, um, she sort of, you know, hasn't aged well. 
Um, <laughs> the bottom half of her is no longer pretty lady. It is now like a nasty snake serpent, yeah. maybe a scorpion. Oh. And she's given birth to Satan's child, and Satan's child's name is Death, and her name is Sin. And he's kind of shadowy and holds a spear, right? Yeah, Satan, yeah, Death's kind of shadowy and holds a spear, and Sin is kind of shrewish, and um, uh, and God has set them up as the gatekeepers of hell. And when Satan sees them, he realizes that Sin is kind of his lover, but also was born from him, so in that way, it's kind of his daughter, and then death is kind of his child. Anyway, it's this whole gross incestuous um, It's a real House of thing. Atreus moment. It's a real House of Atreus moment. But then you realize, oh, Satan has, do- has sort of created his own dark, perverted version of God's holy trinity, where you have God who loves the Son, and the Son who is obedient to the Father, and the love between the Father and the Son works itself out in the Spirit. Um, and then you've got Satan who and sin, and they've got this sort of gross, incestuous thing going on, and then death is resulting of that. So, yeah, but where God and the Son produces life, Satan and sin produces death, and it's kind of this. this right, but didn't you, did, I'm pretty sure you said this. Like the actual correct reading of Paradise Lost is that Satan's the hero. So, like, actually, oh gosh, wait, what? No. So, actually, this is like Thomas. Wait, you're, what? You're sucking the air out of Valentine's Day. We're wait, all going to be wait. I don't understand. We're be bummed. This doesn't. Are we going to do good Thomas, ones? Are you? A, are you a, as far as the paradise lost as it goes are you a satanist uh no i no of course not but i thought you didn't say that i, I oh said that there wow. there is definitely oh, a school no. of thought that Wait. people think that satan's the hero when oh, this is awkward that means they finish at book four okay maybe the- <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really read the rest of it where he becomes a frog and then they catch him and he's like do you know who i am oh fun fact yeah. so if you were animating a movie and you had an animated frog uh-huh and uh, you needed to pick a voice actor for that frog. Do you want to be that voice actor? Oh, Drake. Okay. Think about it. Why? Listen to his, listen to him talking and 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 in his songs, and dr- imagine him as an animated frog, and you won't be able to imagine anything else. Hmm. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. How, how did this occur to you? I was listening to um, uh, a Drake song. I'm so because sorry. Because I too. Oh, well, you're Canadian. Am from the yeah, six. Yeah. Good. Great. Okay. Well, I am. Yeah. And uh, I was like. He kind of sounds like a fro- like an animated frog, um, and 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 I've ran and I've sort of run with that idea. It's, it's, I'm glad I'm glad you got to share that with the listening audience today. So after we finish all your gross examples of love, Thomas, are we going to have time for beautiful ones? I don't understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So AJ, how about that? Love can civilize us. Does this ring a bell from any books that you teach in your uh, ninth grade class? Maybe between. And maybe in an ancient Babylonia, maybe in an ancient uh, clay tablet story. Are you are you thinking Gilgamesh? Oh yeah, the love can civilize us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What happens to Enkidu? Oh, I mean, and, he, uh, yeah. So Enkidu gets brought into civilization, uh-huh. but it's kind of a ploy of the gods to Wait, make what? Gilgamesh not be awful Wait. anymore. And yeah. then their friendship ends up getting them sort of in bro trouble. Yeah, because they go and do a bunch of part, you know, these yeah. big adventures and get themselves in trouble. And then Enkidu dies, and yeah. Gilgamesh freaks out and loses his mind. Yeah, but like he's glad it happened, right? Like the, no. the journey is the destination, you know. I've never said that. Wait, oh my gosh, this is awkward. <laughs> wait. The journey is the destination. I don't, that's, the, that's a Hallmark Channel thing. I just no. The destination funny. is the journey, right? Isn't the journey, that what no, say? the journey is the destination. Like you're not trying to get somewhere. Like the journey is where you're trying to get to. That's All right, so uh, that, that didn't work. Okay, so uh, love doesn't civilize us. How about um, oh, this one? Might be kind of like a good one. Uh, Graham, that communication is important in a relationship. I would agree. Uh, is there is there a, a Shakespearean work that you are familiar with where this might be taught? Um, I are you referring to Romeo oh, and Juliet? Of course, I'm referencing Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> well, uh, as we all know, um, uh, keeping things as buried deep and dark uh, in at nighttime and never telling anybody that, never telling your family about anything, is the healthiest way to start. A romance. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, Romeo loves Juliet, but he keeps it secret. And um, and then Friar Lawrence, um, seeing the opportunity to maybe unite the two houses, decides to keep the secret. And then they all have to work at um, having this no longer be something that, or having this be something that is no longer, that is not known. And um, so the big conclusion that... Uh, I get have the the students come to is, you know, love done in secret is not a healthy thing. This is why at marriages we 
sort of put two people in front of the entire community. And then the, the priest turns to the community and says, all right, everybody, you guys cool with this? <laughs> Anybody not cool with this? Say so now. And then someone doesn't say it. And then there's that like awkward moment where everyone's sort of looking around to see if anybody's going to say something. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, everybody, are you going to help make sure this marriage works? And everybody says, we will. Um, and that's why we have that because secret, secret loves never work. And uh, is, that, is that your... Uh, I feel like you're making like an actual point right now. I am making but, an okay, actual point. Okay, I'll take that. So, yeah, uh, so we're one for six right now, Woo. so we're doing pretty good. How about... I'm not sure if this is so much a romance tip as just a, a relational tip, AJ, that uh, that we should listen to our significant others about when to go to work and when not to go to work. Or I'm, I'm having... Isn't this Caesar? We should listen it, about no, them. Yeah, like listen to your listen to your significant other, especially if they had like a bad yeah, yeah. They had okay, like a bad so dream, kind of like yeah, it. got some bad feelings. Just like you got to trust your spouse, you know. Yeah, yeah. I so I I know that you're calling into question the whole you know Portia and Brutus marriage. All right, is that what? No, you're talking about Caesar and this is oh, Caesar? Calphurnia. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, because I know that Portia also had some weird broodings about that day and was really sad and mm-hmm. didn't want him to go, but Caesar wanted. To, she she had a horrible dream where he was a bleeding person and there were a thousand fountains of blood coming from his body and a bunch of Romans came up and mm-hmm. washed their hands in it. Mm-hmm. And she said, Caesar, what could that, it mean? <laughs> I just don't understand. That freaks me out. Yeah. And he said, okay, for you, I'll stay home. And the guys, the, the senators that were sent to sort of turn his his bent about it said, that's not, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a bad omen. Uh, this is a good omen. It means uh, that from you... All of Rome will suck refi- reviving blood. Your blood will make Rome healthy. And even then, he wasn't getting the whole, like, my blood will make Rome healthy right. thing. And he says, yes, that is great. Calphurnia, you are silly, and your dreams seem ridiculous. I'm going to go. And so he goes to the Senate and is that day killed. Yeah, so you should listen to your significant other, right? He didn't, though, in this yeah. case. And that's what the that's the warning of Julius Caesar. Sorry, yeah, I listen, guess listen to your wife. Okay, I'll take this one. Okay, yeah, two out of seven. Uh, number eight uh, is to listen to prophecy and to not marry your mom. I think we, <laughs> yeah, this is this feels like good yeah. advice. I think we've covered this ad nauseum in the Theban cycle. So I don't think there's much more to say on that one. Yeah, let's, so. let's just let's just trundle past that one. Well, I think that's uh, that's eight incredibly helpful uh, tips for Valentine's Day. So. I can think of more. Wait, this is good. Let's oh, go. Oh, there's tons more. Yeah. Um, and all of these were like 100% serious so, and like actually good. Uh, like you may show up in a foreign country and really get on. Oh, let's see if you guys, maybe we can play like quiz show. All right. Okay. You show okay. up in a foreign country and you really uh, get along with the head of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you and her spend a lot of time together. In fact, you become lovers. Mm. But there's this little gnawing thing in the back of your mind that, you have a mission from the gods, and that mission from the gods is to go and found a mighty city mm-hmm. and potentially a great empire. And you float this idea past your lover, and she doesn't seem cool with it. Uh, she's, in fact, you notice that she's been stacking lots of firewood <laughs> recently. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Dido. Yeah. Oh, yeah. poor Dido. Dido and Aeneas. I always think about Dido when I think of that girl that had that like ten minute long singing career. Yeah, named Dido, what, who yeah. like did the Eminem song. Poor Dido. The Eminem song. Wasn't she on Eminem? She was on the Stan. Wasn't she Stan? She. It was good. There's the. You ever heard that song? No, I've heard of it. I'm just. Is it, it's in the. It's in. She played. She sung a hook on an Eminem song. Got this Dido. Yeah. Anyway, that's the only yeah. lover one I can remember. There's probably a lot more. So, so don't stack up firewood around your lover. Is that yeah? Okay. Or this is good advice. Well, I actually have sympathies for Aeneas. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have led Dido on, but you know, he had a job. He had a mission. He wanted to go. He had something he had to do. He had like the burden of his family. And, and I think if he had his druthers, he would have stayed. You think so? Oh yeah, he yeah. was. I think he was planning on it until Hermes came down and mm-hmm. said you had to move on. I was like, dude, yeah, you got you got a mission to do. Yeah, it's true. I, I got one. Yeah, go for it. Um, so you. How to do this? You shouldn't get with the most fashionable dude in London, okay? Even if he seems just to be, you you couldn't believe that he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's got such a fresh young face. Now, is this especially if I'm an actress? Should I not get with? <laughs> yeah, if okay, you're an yeah. actress and yeah. he professes love, yeah. and and really, he loves you for your art. I know. And you know, my mom had some worries about him, but 
So maybe we, uh, this is uh, Dorian but Gray. But mom is always dramatic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right takeaway. This was like a good one. Yeah, it's Dorian, Dorian Gray. Gray. Yeah. I like that one. Uh, don't have paintings made of you. Maybe a, a, I don't know. Um, you in a, your your wild days of youth, mm-hmm. you sired a couple of bastard kids. Mm-hmm. These things happen. Oh my goodness! But then you were sitting in a garden. <laughs> oh my! Oh my goodness! <laughs> but then I'm you were sorry, sitting, it happens. You were sitting in a garden one day, and you heard a bunch of kids reading a book, and and singing a song, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you had a transcendental moment of yeah. God's presence. Yeah. And in a few short years, you were a bishop. So, so steal fruit is your takeaway? <laughs> yes, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. You were so, super guilty about yeah. eating pears. To, Stealing steal fruit. Pears, Who yeah. am I talking about, Thomas? You're talking about Augustine. Thank you very That's much. That's right. Yes. Augustine, pronounced correctly as Augustine, right? And Augustine. Augustinus. Yeah, yeah. Augustinus. Augustinus. I'm so sorry. This is it, good. I like this. If you, you've been away for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you said, hey, if I've, if I've been away and the baby we just sired grows a beard, you should marry a different guy. And yeah. you've been gone. I'm probably dead. Long yeah, enough long for time. beard to happen. Yeah. Uh, in this in this case, you should dawdle around mm-hmm. for yeah. 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> hang out with yep. other ladies. Yep. Totally and then eventually arrive home and murder all yeah. her boyfriends. Yep, exactly. So, uh, so just to be clear, the lesson is that it's okay to hang out on islands as long as they're far away from your kingdom with other women. That's that, Is that uh, the takeaway from this? Well, <laughs> he kind of had, had to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sure. The first time. And then <laughs> after that, he didn't have to quite as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, Odysseus, this is Yeah, the talking about the Odyssey. Like this. this is good. Poor okay, guy. good. Mm. I, I, uh, Graham and AJ, uh, loyal listener, Graham and AJ are currently looking at AJ's bookshelf, trying to come up with other <laughs> examples to talk about. So this is fun. Yeah. You got a fun one. You. Thinking through it. Are a troubled youth. Uh-huh. And you may or may not have had some kind of relationship with this cute, but... Not so noble girl okay. in, your, in your kingdom. Um, but then, you, so you go off to college, and but you have to come home because of a tragedy in your hometown. Your father has died. <laughs> and when you come home, you realize that your mother has married your uncle. And you uh, now have a new uncle and daddy. Fast. And yeah, fast. Weirdly fast. fast. Yeah. Uh, in your... In your um, Grumpy mood, you have the ghost of your dead father <laughs> impart upon you his desire for revenge uh-huh. on the land of the living uh-huh. and on his brother who murdered him. Yep. You don't know if it's actually the ghost of your father or a demon sent to tempt you. But you decide that you're going to be a real dirtbag <laughs> to the girl that you may or may not have had a relationship with. Uh-huh. And whenever you hang out with her, you basically you know, skateboard around her and say, like, you used to be cool and make sexual innuendo jokes at her while uh, you slowly break her heart oh. every scene. Oh. Who are we talking about, boys? Is, is, is our lesson don't listen to Ghost Dad? Yeah. Okay, that seems like an important one. This is our boy Hamlet. This is our boy Hamlet. And the lesson is don't be a, don't be a dirtbag. That's also a good lesson. Yeah. And don't, don't involve your girlfriend in your machinations of revenge murder. That's true. Thomas, I'm bummed. Oh, sorry. I, what have we done? I got, I got one more. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. You're, you're dating this guy, uh-huh. and he seems real nice. Okay. And you've, I mean, you've spent, you've been physical. Oh. It's a physical oh, thing. wow. Okay. And it's, it feels all right, oh. but you, he, his rule is that you, he, you, the light's got to be off. <laughs> and you can never, what? ever look at him, what? ever. <laughs> and he'll only come and hang out with you when, if the lights are off. <laughs> only... Only with the lights off. Yeah. That's the rule. He uh-huh. says, if you turn off on a light, oh, it's, it is over. Is this the one where no it one is, else can see this person? But your sisters are super jealous. Yeah. Your sisters are really, because they're, but you know, they, you've got a man. They also kind of think I'm crazy, really nice. right? You're also kind of living in a sweet castle, and you might be crazy. And so they convince you that mm-hmm. you could be married to a giant centipede uh-huh. or Who some other crazy is. minotaur monster. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, the lights, they're <laughs> off. <laughs> and so in fear, one night you mm-hmm. grab a candle mm-hmm. yeah. and... And you have to look, and it turns out he's not a centipede. Oh, good. He is, in fact, as hot as you had imagined. <laughs> uh, and in his hotness, you are shocked, and uh-huh. you let wax drip from your candle onto him. And he and wakes he, up. And he wakes up and freaks out and says, I said, only with the lights off! And then he leaves and leaves you alone. It's the C.S. Lewis one, but what's the... I always forget the name of She's it. She's Psyche. The original was Cupid Psyche. Mm-hmm. The C.S. Lewis oh, one was a little bit different. She was living in a field. Oh. Uh, the the true one, she holds... Yeah, she holds a... a 
candle and the wax drips onto Cupid. And so the reason Cupid was keeping it quiet was because his mom yeah. really didn't like oh, the girl. Is that, mm-hmm. is that why? Yeah. Oh, oh. She, I think she was jealous of Psyche's beauty. And so he, you know, he's like, I like Psyche too. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to hang out with her. And he had to keep, he had to keep it on the hush hush. And right. then she had a whole bunch of other things that she had to, they gave her tasks and it was this whole thing. You are a power couple. Okay. Power, and you are going places. Um, your husband is ambitious, but you feel like with your help and with your subtle encouragements mm-hmm. that you can uh, spur, him, uh, spur him on to really kill it. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um, <laughs> there's a moment when you're at, the t- you're at the tipping point of your husband's ambition. Uh-huh. And so what you decide to do is pray to the Dark Lord that he takes away all of your feminine wiles and all of your feminine sympathies so that you can have a heart of stone, ice, and uh, and bloody resolve. Um, Meanwhile, your husband has invited his boss over for dinner. Um, And because of a terrible storm, um, probably because your wife is praying to the Dark Lord, um, uh, your boss decides to stay overnight um, because it's too dangerous to go home. Mm -hmm. And um, and you you murder him. You wade in his blood. You return to your wife completely covered in his gore. And she goes after sort of wiping. Finally, a man. (laughs) You're you're after sort of wiping the knives on some other drunks that were in the house. Whoops! Like you, you, what did you do, (laughs) you guys, with those knives that you're holding? Don't you remember? She's like, finally, you're the man I married. What is the? You don't know what this is. That's Macbeth. This is Macbeth. Yeah, Macbeth. Macbeth. yeah, I haven't seen the new. I want to see the new version of it with um, Fassbender and oh, uh, Marion Cotard. This. I hear it's really good, but I haven't seen it. Anyway, man, happy Valentine's Day. Everybody. <laughs> oh, <laughs> on that cheery note, I have one from oh, good Lamorte to Arthur. Oh, but oh, it good. is whoa, not appropriate. Yeah, that's not we're, yeah, we're not gonna go there. No, okay, no, I'm gonna talking about. Yeah. All right, so. At, as always, why, what are we doing here? First off, it's just fun to go back and remember all of these wonderful memories from the classical world and ancient literature. <clears throat> uh, another piece of it is that uh, there are sometimes, mm, I, I think it is entirely possible to be too quick to jump and say that because we read a thing in an old book means that we should always do that thing. Um, that in reading, we should be somewhat critical. Uh, I don't know that there are crazy things that happen in these books that we read. Um, and uh, what, what's that? I think AJ, I've heard you say it before that it was in some controversy related to Harry Potter. And this person said that they would, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Keep, keep talking. I'll look up the quote. So, so it's something to the effect of, I don't want my children to be reading about magic and death and inappropriate things. I only let them read Shakespeare. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't quite know. You might not have, you might not have read Shakespeare very closely. So I just always think it's fun to, to go back and, um, yeah, just remember what's in all those stories. I'm trying to riff right now, and I'm not doing a very good job. Oh, he'll find them. He'll, he'll find the quote later. eventually. I got the quote. All right. Yeah. It says, he, he is a principal, and he says, buying sensational books is like feeding your child with spoons of added sugar, Whiting wrote. Heaps of it. And when the child becomes addicted, it will seek more and more, which, if related to books, fills the bank vaults of those who write unsensitive books for young children. He, this, this guy praised the old fashioned values of traditional literature, offering as examples, William Shakespeare, John Keats, Charles Dickens, and Shelley. He didn't specify <laughs> whether he meant Percy Shelley, uh, the author of Necessity of Atheism, or Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. Either way. And he adds, beware the devil in the text, choose beauty for your young children. The, it makes me think that this principle has never cracked a Shakespeare in his life, right. because... If he doesn't want the devil in the books, he's looking in the wrong place if he's cracking Shakespeare, yeah. right? If he's if he's worried about sensational things and ghosts and murders and yeah, he's looking in the wrong spots. I dig it. So then, Graham, to your question then of like, what about actual things to talk about? I was hoping to uh, spend the rest of our time talking about Beatrice in Dante. Mm-hmm. So AJ, you might be the better one to start out. You teach Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. Who Who is this Beatrice? Beatrice was not Dante's wife. She was a person in Florence that he became infatuated with as a young man. And she was quite young. And then she died quite young. And I think because 
and they never really spoke that much. They didn't have that close of a relationship. He right. was his was sort of a distant reverence. I think you could only call it infatuation. Yes. And then she died, and that he could never become disabused of that infatuation. So it grew, and eventually she came to represent for him all that is divine and good and pure in the world, and then she became this ideal. And for a little while, he wavered and became enamored of the Lady of Philosophy, and then he's like, oh, no, I have totally forgot Beatrice, and then he <laughs> went back to Beatrice, and then he has her as sort of this heavenly divine lady in his books next to Mary, and same level, same level as the Mary. Right. And she's the one who sends Virgil to guide him through the Inferno. Yeah. So, but, but for Dante, no. she is the embodiment of all that is, all of the virtues and all that is good and pure and innocent. And I think. Right. So it, was, it wasn't, she, she eventually re- represented yeah. divine goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we always rush to be like, oh, you know, Dante had it bad for this girl he never met. He just saw at church every Sunday or whatever. But it's, it's not that. I mean, uh, and we talked. I think we de- we definitely talked about this on um, one of our our podcasts right. about Dante. That um, what he's doing is not some sort of like unrequited love, right. but um, that this person and and how she carries herself and how she has existed in the world and then dying young has embodied all of those things that are that all, has embodied all of those Christian virtues that that um, are inherently attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he has her be the character that um, comes to help him in his in his own quest and ju- spiritual journey um, when he is lost in the woods. Yeah. So we'll get there. I think there are some weird parts to it that we might want to suss out and talk more about. But I think it's totally fair to start out at the place of like, how would Dante have described Beatrice or like this affection that he has for her? And of course, he would describe it the way that you all are of it's an honor or reverence. It's not anything inappropriate. It's not Mm -hmm. like in place of his wife or any of those uh, strange things like that. So uh, you've covered all the the high points here. So there was an actual person named Beatrice. It might be just a helpful thing to start with. She then did die young and Dante continued to write about her. There are two main spots. One is the divine comedy, which is what AJ was just talking about, but there's also a book, uh, the Vita uh, Nuova, the Vita Nova, uh, by Dante that is essentially it's about his encounters it's about Beatrice so they only ever encountered each other twice and they never spoke very much but it's very funny to hear him talk about her so I'll just I'll start reading a little bit of it this is Dante this is in the first chapter of the Vita Nova nine times the heaven of the light had returned to where it was at my birth almost to the very same point of its orbit when the glorious lady of my mind first appeared before my eyes she whom many called beatrice without even knowing that was her name she had already been in this life long enough for the heaven of the fixed stars to have moved toward the east a twelfth of a degree since she was born so that she was at the beginning of her ninth year when she appeared to me and i saw her when i was almost at the end of my ninth She appeared, dressed in a very stately color, a subdued and dignified crimson, girdled and adorned in a manner that was fitting for her young age. At that time, truly, I say, the vital spirit which dwells in the innermost chamber of the heart started to tremble so powerfully that its disturbance reached all the way to the slightest of my pulses. And trembling, it spoke these words, and then they're in Latin, which means... Ooh. uh, Here is a God stronger than I who comes to rule me. That's the quote that's right there. Um... At that time, the animal spirit which dwells in the high chamber to which all the spirits of sensation carry their perceptions began to marvel. And speaking especially to the spirits of vision, it said, another thing in, in Latin, at that time, the natural spirit which dwells where, anyway, he, he keeps quoting this Latin thing. Um, let me get it to, so after so many days had passed that it was exactly nine years since the above named apparition of this most gracious of women, on the last day of these days, that marvelous lady appeared to me dressed in pure white between two gracious women, both of whom were older than she. So they're walking in the street and it's Beatrice and these two older people. And passing along the street, she turned her eyes in the direction of where I stood, gripped by fear. And thanks to her ineffable benevolence and grace, which now is rewarded in eternal life, she greeted me with such power that that then and there I seemed to see to the farthest reaches of beatitude. So Beatrice turns around, says hi, and he's just like blissed out of his mind at even. You didn't have this at nine years old. It, well, this so this is nine years later. So this, oh. so he has the nine years old. So he's eighteen now. Yeah, and so eighteen, oh, and then I mean, she'll she'll die. We've um, all been there. I think in her twenties, and they're about the same age. So a few years after this, um, he go anyway. He goes on and he has this dream where um, there's this vision and. Um, this like figure 
tells Beatrice to like eat Dante's heart. And so then Beatrice does that. And so then anyway, there's fun metaphor there, but we've all been there too. (laughs) Well, let's talk more about that. So there is like a a sweetness in this uh, infatuation, right? Yeah. Say more about that. Oh, he's, I mean, nine years old. She's nine years old. He sees her at walking into church. I think it was, or is it like um, a mayday? Yeah. And um, there's just this moment of where it, it just sort of strikes him, her, you know, coy, innocent beauty, you know, just, um, hits him full in the face and, uh, and, and just, just sort of this other world opens up to him, a world of, of the power of innocence and beauty and purity and his heart wants to be in that. He, right. His heart wants to be completely fully engulfed in, in all that is good and true and beautiful and he sees it symbolized in this person. Now, we know that Beatrice was just a, a person and, you know, if Dante and if she had not died young and Dante had married her and lived together, that it wouldn't have taken on the symbolism that it had because right. she would have been a regular, ordinary person who would have loved Dante and would have disappointed Dante and all the sort of things that happen in in, in the course of a human life. But because she died young, she, he, he has her – he crystallizes that moment in his youth and locates it in, in this – in. The relationship with this person, the sort of childish, uh, innocent, you know, first love kind of feeling, um, and then extrapolates that to talk about how this is um, the feelings of heaven, that this is what God has called us to, that this is, uh, that she is more of an angelic, heavenly figure than just like a person. So yep. uh, I think it's really beautiful. And we maybe the easiest way to see that it is beautiful is what it results in in Dante. Mm-hmm. It, yes, it, it's uh, totally. It, it is the motivation. It's what points him toward studying theology and then creating the divine comedy to mm-hmm. write this Vita Nova. That is more about like how God has blessed earth with such beauty, such as Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, it, uh, the, the terminating point is not Beatrice herself. It is mm-hmm. like what Beatrice represents so yeah or what or the kingdom she is a part of if you want to say it that way yeah um and then that vision of who she is and what she represents for him is a strong enough vision that um um when he is in a dark place as a a man in his middle age and he's you know banished from his kingdom and um and there's been sort of bloodshed and um calumny and all sorts of um you know his name being dragged through the mud that it is um, the longing for that vision that that drives him back into searching for God. Yes. I, I'm hesitant to say that beauty alone can't save you. And Dante wouldn't say that beauty alone c- can save you, but um, uh, he is definitely um, – the experience of Beatrice and, and the knowledge of beauty is enough to say – to remind him there is m- something more and greater than – the pain or the then the sort of the temporal existence of of nasty life um and and so that that hope uh yes. is what sort of um he has and then to have beatrice be the one that sends him the guy to take him through hell and purgatory up to heaven um it, it's like the you know his his experience and relationship with the beautiful mm-hmm. uh, takes him to the true and the good that's good so even and even when Beatrice eventually will become his guide, it's to take him to God. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not yeah, just she's not and, the end. I right. mean, she's she's um, um, the love he has for Beatrice is is a conduit to which uh, he has um, a relationship with God. Uh, j- this is basically summarizing what you just said, but this is Canto One of Dante's Paradiso. So this is the point. So Beatrice takes over as Dante's guide. I think four books from the end of the Purgatorio, and then will guide him from then on so this is from canto one of the paradiso when i saw beatrice turn upon her left and look to heaven to gaze into the sun no eagle ever held a gaze so firm as a reflecting ray will follow upon the first and in a glance an instant rise just like a pilgrim longing to turn home so she instilled her gazing through my eyes into my powers of fancy and i too stared at the sun more than our sight can bear with our weak powers on earth one may not do what their what there one may, thanks to the special place created as the proper home for man. But that idea of her gaze translates into Dante's gaze. Mm-hmm. It's that that beauty points towards something and that then re- reorients, redirects Dante. So that's what Beatrice is doing. And I think that's the, that's the important part for like this, for Beatrice, for, I mean, she becomes more Dante's muse than mm-hmm. the real person Beatrice. Mm-hmm. But I, I think of this, 
in opposition to another young character who meets uh, an attractive female at a young age, Pip and Estella. Mm-hmm. Do you, AJ, who, who are Pip and Estella and where do they come from? This is from Dickens's book, Great Expectations. And Pip is a young fellow that lives with his sister and his sister's husband. And it's awful. She is a little bit abusive, although his sort of new stepdad is kind of awesome. And he falls in love with this girl because he's called to play at this fancy lady's house. And there's a fancy young girl there. We find out later that the fancy lady, her entire goal is to take revenge upon men. So she is tuning this young being to be horrible to men, to be incredibly desirable, to be beautiful, to be well-spoken, but then to be cold and harsh. It's like... Rich girls, man. Creating an ice cube. Oh, my cube. goodness. What? Oh, my. Uh, if rich you're a listening, listening yeah. rich girl, yeah. please pay no attention to the Canadian. Ignore that. Yeah. We Americans like rich things. <laughs> that, that is so true. It's, it, it doesn't end up well. He sort right. of becomes the waves that beat himself against this pier for ages and ages and ages, and he breaks himself. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, it's left up in the air what happens after they finally meet in what is an incredible coincidence years later like a decade later they go back to the same home for the first time on the same day that's the uh he added that ending didn't he because both both endings they that happens yeah okay in any case it's it's kind of left up to the the reader what happens but but the contrast i think you're getting at is pip sees estella as his end and only sole source of happiness and by holding her up estella his star right uh is holding her up as the focus of everything um, that will make him happy. He's sort of at the mercy of her of her whims and the mercy of her, you know, her feelings. And she, being bred to have no emotions or to cage off her emotions and be cruel to boys, but mm-hmm. be very beautiful, you know, is not a healthy place for Pip to be. No. But um, yeah, Dante is not doing that. Correct. But um, so there's yeah, there's a sense of that um, the infatuation and the love. Um, is uh, supposed to be a means to the end of drawing the heart to God, as opposed to being the end. Um, you know, the that those strong feelings you have are not. Um, but this is, Lewis talks about this a lot, and when and this is sort of the the, the dangers of romanticism, is that um, the thing that elicits the strong feeling is not the thing you want. Um, the thing that elicits the strong the, the strong feeling is sort of the. Um, um, a longing for our participation is a longing in beauty. F- yes, for a participation in beauty, and it will only be satisfied when it gets to the real source of that beauty. So mm-hmm. anything short than the top of paradise mm-hmm. is not going to cut it. I mean, part of it is that Estella isn't exactly the most upstanding person. Mm-hmm. She doesn't orient right. him towards anything mm-hmm. better. And I think that's what you're getting at. Well, but she's it's not pretty. It's not just his <laughs> fault. It's definitely her. Estella's yeah. also. Yeah. Right? She doesn't yes. tune yeah. him better. She doesn't say, listen, you shouldn't be You don't chasing want me, me, you want God. Yeah, she <laughs> never She never does that. So, so he ends up hitting against a brick wall rather than a channel or conduit, which is mm-hmm. what happens to Dante, mm-hmm. right? He sort of funnels himself through her to something divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess some people like to make much of, so Dante would write all these poems about Beatrice. He didn't write any poems about his wife, mm-hmm. but I think it matters that Beatrice eventually isn't a real person. Mm-hmm. Like even in the Vita Nova, when I, I didn't read the whole thing, but when you flip through it, he is stylizing the story. He's making up days, like everything, unless you believe that things literally happened like nine years to the day after each other or I don't know. Yeah, Dante is not being autobiographical. Yes. I mean, it's just not what poetry was then. Sure. We have it now where we want the poet or the writer to be authentically real about their life. And if it didn't actually happen, then it's then it's not a good story. Mm-hmm. Like there's all the, those uh, hubbubs about people that write these autobiographies about terrible things that happen, yep. and then fact finders go and they're like, "Well, this exactly actually is, this isn't actually true." Right. And um, and that's sort of the modern our our modern dislike of of um, I don't know realism or our modern dislike of of fantasy or maybe not fantasy but sort of creating stories. Uh, we want things to actually be real. We want realistic. We want realism. We want the artist to be the art, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially when it comes to writing and poetry. Whereas um, Dante, the Dante, the man, and Dante, the poet, are very different. Sure. Yes. Uh, and Dante, the man, is lost to history, and Dante, the man, was known only to his wife, and they had their own 
love and their own, um, you know, um, private day-to-day affairs. And then Dante the poet is a constructed um, uh, artistic representation of Dante the man that is, you know, um, meaning that, that is that is sort of functioning differently. I think, um, and that it's just something we don't have we don't have a tolerance for. We don't have a taste for. Um, um, we want the artist to be the art. We don't want we we don't like having um, somebody. Um, yeah, um, um, we don't like having that separation between life and work, if you want to put it that way. I also think that if he had written about his wife, he brings himself into several dangers. Number one, she doesn't like the poem. That's a <laughs> sure. that's a bummer. Sure. Number two, he airs out their dirty laundry. She's not going to be happy. And I think most of all, if he writes about his wife, people could say, well, he's just trying to earn points with his wife, right? right? It becomes something personal and could... the the invective that it's selfish could definitely be leveled at him had he written about his wife, mm-hmm. right? Of course, he writes a poem to his wife. She loves him more at the end of that day. And if he writes about Beatrice, someone dead, someone that can never see these poems, it becomes rather about the beauty itself than about any selfish ideas that he has in his mind, right? He can never he can never gain by writing about Beatrice, whereas he can gain materially by writing about his wife. I'd never thought of it that way. But imagine there being these lost set of poems that were only between him and his wife that weren't for gaining credit outside of them, weren't for gaining popularity or, not- or notoriety. Um, yeah, there's something to that. Yeah, if, if he writes about his wife, even then, I mean, she could she could even level the thing saying, you are trying to gain money off of me and I right. don't appreciate that. So he gets, there's all sorts yeah. of problems that come into it when one writes about their relationships sure. and Taylor write, Swift might be aware of some of them. You should definitely <laughs> write poems for your wife. Just don't publish them. Sure. Just yeah. have them be these, these the, 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 you know, the things of um, the private culture of the family, right? Sure. Like you, you've created these songs and stories inside the confines of your own, of your own private world. I think that's kind and of then when she kicks it, yeah, publish them. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, then you're good to go. Good. Okay. I like it. But, yeah. yeah. Get something out. Please don't do that. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, and there's also when you are when you're writing a poem, you don't want if you put someone's name in there, if you make it real too specific, the poem's not going to ring. Like Mm -hmm. she walks in beauty like the night is way better than Linda walks in beauty (laughs) like the night. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I know. I know some pretty Lindas. Unless you're Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're Linda. There's there's one Linda who reads that and she's like, I do. I I do do walk in beauty like the night. Of cloudless climbs and starry skies and all that's best in dark and bright meets in my aspect, in my eyes. In Linda's eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. So... Again, the, the the main point I'm just trying to get to with this whole Beatrice thing is that in talking about romance and talking about beauty, that beauty is still pointing us to something outside of the object of that beauty. So Beatrice is pointing to God. The problem with Estella is it is a problem with both Pip and Estella, but the, the terminating point is Estella herself. It's all tokens and types. To- what does that mean? Um, uh, the, the, the example of the love story is the token of, of the type. So all those failed love stories that we were talking about, the fact that we were all laughing and going womp, womp, and all knew that they were bad examples of love is because we have a type in our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have an example of what it ought to be, whether or not we can put you know, surgically defined clear borders about what it is, mm-hmm. is good. We're, that's where we're going to have disagreements. Yeah. But we all have an idea of what healthy love ought to look like in a relationship. We have the type and these tokens, we talk about them and bat them back and forth and say, well, you know, Aeneas was a jerk or Aeneas was justified or maybe he should have done this or maybe he should have done that. We're all appealing to the type. We're all appealing to the standard that we're trying to use the token to define. Um, And Dante is pushing the conversation beyond to its, to its more, well, to the Christian conclusion and to our conclusion, which is that um, um, these are um, the tokens of love, even the good ones, are all part and parcel of the type, which is God's love for creation and our participation in his kingdom. And yeah, That's good. So we still have a, a, a little bit more time at the end. So any, any thoughts that you all have on just the broader uh, – Graham, this was your question from before. Are we actually going to give good tips? Um, any – Stories from antiquity related to love that have actually good examples. Yeah, Anything sure. about beauty you want to talk about? Yeah. I think Brutus and Portia is yeah. a far better example than Caesar and Calphurnia. Sure. She demonstrates that she is faithful. She asks if he can disclose his secrets to her. She proves to herself that she can keep them before she proves to him that she can keep them. She's worried when he leaves. Yeah. When she decides to commit suicide in captivity, he is absolutely wrecked. It's, it's a fairly good picture of 
a decent marriage. And these come rarely. And I think it maybe it's not necessarily because love is difficult, which it is, but because it doesn't make for good storytelling usually. Because you need some sort of conflict. Yeah. Good marriages are pretty boring to listen about. Yeah. Right. It's not a fun thing. And I have a, I have a quote that came to mind earlier. Enjoyable and satisfying to be in. Let's put it that well, way. You, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I guess that's I, and sure. I'm not saying that boring is bad. Right. I, I have running water in my house. That's <laughs> Very pretty boring. boring, but it's a Very good. incredibly good thing. Yeah. So here's a quote that came to mind as we were speaking. This is from the Brothers Karamazov. And he says, I'm sorry I can say nothing more consoling to you, for love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in dreams is greedy for immediate action, rapidly performed and in the sight of all. Men will give, will even give their lives if only the ordeal does not last long, but is soon over, with all looking on and applauding as though on the stage. But active love is labor and fortitude, and for some people too, perhaps a complete science. So I'm, I'm often reminded of that, that we have in our head this notion Ideal. of love as sort of a flash in the pan thing when really it's, it's difficult and strenuous labor and humility and being willing to change and communicate and all of that hurts and is hard and i can't help but think that if dante and beatrice had hung out more he would find beatrice's flaws and that she was awfully into that red dress she was wearing and had all these problems he he wouldn't have written poems about her right (laughs) yeah if he had gotten to know her better he wouldn't have written poems and and i think it is the the acceptance that comes through all of those hard labors that that binds a marriage and I'm saying this as a single man to two married men, so you can let <laughs> me know more, if I'm man. off base here. But knowing someone's flaws completely and then accepting those nonetheless is a powerful thing. And the, uh, I push back and say, I don't think you accept flaws. Oh, I mean, knowing the flaws and yet loving them anyway yes. and then pushing each other towards better. Yeah. I didn't mean to accept and ignore. Yeah. I meant yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to see the flaws for what they are and yet still love the person. Mm-hmm. This uh, it's it's one of my favorite sonnets from Shakespeare. Sonnet one thirty. It uh, I'll just read it because I it, it I'll be curious how you all react to this if you agree with it. My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses roses damasked red and white but no such roses see i in her cheeks and in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks i love to hear her speak yet well i know that music hath a far more pleasant sound i grant i never saw a goddess go my mistress when she walks treads on the ground and yet by heaven i think my love is rare as any she belied with false compare <laughs> uh, that maybe gets more at aj's of like there are imperfections in in like the real people that we interact with, but no, there's still, um, I'm overusing the word beauty, but there's a beauty to like choosing that love and committing to that love, even in seeing the the problems in the people around us. Sure. That's like with, uh, this is not classical anyway. It, and there's a, how I met your mother episode where everyone, I know <laughs> definitely not classical, not classical where they, where everyone points out the flaws of the other person and, it like breaks their ability to talk because they can only see the flaws in the other person. But at the end, they all see they have flaws also. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a necessity to that. Um, You're talking about other examples yeah, other of examples. good yeah. love in antiquity. Um, the one that I am just thinking about currently is because I'm teaching it right now is uh, Paradise Lost, where you have Adam and Eve were um, made for one another, but there's something about what Adam brings to Eve that amplifies her nature. And there's something that Eve brings to Adam that amplifies his nature that yes, by themselves, they could have enjoyed God's presence and the garden, but there's something about being together that sort of brings them to this, a a higher plane of existence that that they couldn't have had if they were uh, apart. Um, I I know I've talked about this in earlier podcasts on Paradise Lost. So the, the Coles Notes version is that Eve desires to civilize and amplify the beauty of the world, Mm -hmm. to cultivate the beauty of the world. Um, Adam desires to understand and expand and uh, and know how things work. Together, he expands the garden by like chopping down trees. She cultivates the garden by planting beautiful plants and turning the world into a garden. He can bring his love of abundance and his abundance to Eve, and she can take his abundance— and cultivate it and then 
that results in a child. So um, the the um, Adam's abundance and Eve's order mixed together creates new life that bears God's image in the world. Um, Eve couldn't have done that without Adam. All she could have done is just sort of enjoy her own beauty. Adam couldn't have done that without Eve. All he could have done was sort of be a wanderer in the world experiencing new things. But when they bring those two things together, they can actually create something that bears God's image, with which nothing else in creation does. The angels don't bear God's image. The animals don't bear God's image. Man bears God's image. And so... Um, um, that so when so then there's this the scene when Adam sees Eve and he's going to marry her. Um, he wakes up and um, realizes that she's gone. And then um, when when God formed her out of the rib and he says this, when out of hope behold her not far off, such as I saw her in my dream, adorned with what all earth or heaven could bestow to make her amiable, on she came, led by her heavenly Maker, though unseen. And guided by his voice, not uninformed of nuptial sanctity and marriage rites. Grace was in all her steps, heaven in her eye, in every gesture, dignity, and love. I told my boys uh, in uh, my English class that they should definitely steal those last two lines. <laughs> and if they ever have to write wedding vows one day, uh, to put those in there. And uh, uh, probably like 80% of the audience will have never read or never read Milton. <laughs> and so like his new bride's grandma is going to be like, oh, he's a keeper. <laughs> um, and he and he can pass those off as his own. That's good. So I have <laughs> I have two poems and these are of a different sort. Oh, this no. is from a book called the devil's book of verse oh no and it is poems from poets when they are feeling cranky when they are feeling jilted when they are feeling hateful <laughs> this, is this is this is the worst of the worst when it comes to poetry and it is there are beefs between poets mm. in here it will have back and forth between two fellows and i once brought these poems to a final reading at a poetry class of mine in college <laughs> and, and they were displeased yeah, I that yeah. i had brought these i mean they i think they wanted to feel self-reverential and proud of their own poems and yes. and I brought these and they're kind of jokes and no one liked it very much. <laughs> so reader, take these as they're meant. They're not supposed to be serious. Yeah. They, they are from men when they are at the, perhaps their lowest. And <laughs> so I have two. I thought you might enjoy them. This one is called Upon Some Women by Robert Therick. Thou who wilt not love, do this. Learn of me what a woman is. Something made of thread and thrum a mere botch of all oh and some. Ugh. Pieces, patches, ropes of hair, inlaid garbage everywhere. <laughs> outside silk and outside lawn, scenes to cheat us, neatly drawn. False in legs and false in thighs. False in breast, teeth, hair, and eyes. False in head and false enough. Only true in shreds and stuff. Oh my goodness. He had clearly been turned down yeah, so recently he's not he's not feeling good this and may then, reveal more about the poet about than him, about yes, the, uh, yes. oh yes i'm not saying these are examples of love this is oh, yeah. absolutely not true he's yeah. he's having a bad day and then here's another one it's from an unknown author uh it's called faults male and female men they have many faults but women only two. Oh, everything they say <laughs> and everything they do <laughs> is that the entire poem no, there's more. That's it. No, that's, that's the it? whole thing. That's good. Oh, uh, hey, we should, let's say. Uh, one more? No, that one is, I was trying to find one that was about men being terrible, but I'll have to keep looking. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. I, I, I like, so we started with bad advice and ended with bad poetry. So I feel like these are good bookends for the, uh, for this episode. So go forth and have a great Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's it? Day. Yeah, seriously. Um, I guess the, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is that, um... Uh, love, you need, I don't know what the takeaway is. We had a lot of takeaways today. Experience, so, uh, I like what AJ was just saying, so I think there are kind of two levels to beauty, so there should be a beauty that is always pointing us toward higher and toward more, but mm -hmm. there's also the beauty in the day-to-day. -day. There's the love in the day-to-day, -day, and we should celebrate and experience both of those things. Yeah. So Here, here, I got there. one. Okay. I got one against men, just to even things out. Great. This is by Dorothy Parker. It's called Men. They hail you as their morning star because you are the way you are. If you return the sentiment, they'll try to make you different. And once they have you safe and sound, they want to change you all around. 
your moods and ways they put a curse on. They'd make of you another person. (laughs) (laughs) They cannot let you get your, yeah, person. (laughs) They cannot let you get your gate. They influence and educate. (laughs) They'd alter all that they admired. They make me sick. They make me tired. (laughs) (laughs) And that's by Dorothy Parker. That's good. All right on that, I guess on that charming note. So if you're heading off into Valentine's Day, I guess revel in that that's not how you're feeling as <laughs> you head into Valentine's like Day, that. or it is how you're feeling, no. and you can think about those poems and then binge some Netflix and have a great day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, have a great day. Commiserate with our poets and move on. Authenticity, humility, and service. I think those are the that's the mix. I like that. Yeah, it's good. It feels like it should be our new slogan or something. <laughs> okay, good. It's like the lamest French Revolution <laughs> ever. So instead of buckle up for knowledge, <laughs> yeah. it's authenticity, humility, service. I like it. Fraternité, égalité. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can catch us on Twitter with our handle at Classical Stuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L. You can check out our website. Is there stuff at the end of that? Yeah. Classical Stuff. Classical Stuff. And then you can check out our website, classicalstuff.net. You can email us. Please do email us. We try to return as many of those as we possibly can at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. And I think that's it. That's it. So thank you for listening. And this is the Classical Stuff Boys signing off. Bye. Ciao.